Well, it is actually a really nice thing to be back here. I'm, I'm really pleased to be able to do that. Um, I must, you know, it's only the second time I think I've been back to preach in five years that I've been away. Um, but that's my fault rather than anyone's here because Martin has repeatedly invited me. Um, sometimes with, you know, just a few days notice. No, but... Um, <laughs> He has repeatedly invited me, so it's great to be able to come along and uh, be able to share with you once again. Um, Whether you'll still be thinking that at the end of this time is another matter, but we'll see. Um, The thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Such is the experience of Job as his whole world falls to pieces at the uh, end of Job chapter 3. And he's just one example of that kind of tearing down of the internal structure of our lives that maybe just makes us suddenly feel as if we've got nothing to orientate ourselves around. When I say the word depression, I wonder what comes to mind for you this morning. Uh, Maybe you've been alongside someone who has suffered uh, depression or is suffering it, Maybe, and I'm pretty sure this is going to be the case, speaking to a group of people like you, um, I'm sure that there's going to be someone here who's experienced depression themselves. Uh, maybe just even saying that word raises all kinds of questions for you. It's like, what is it? What's, what's he going on about? What's that all about? Well, it's not something that we very often speak about, let alone preach about. And I know that. Um, until recent times, perhaps the cultural response was, well, do you know what? The less said about that sort of thing, the better. And very often, people in the church who um, went through such a period or an episode of depression in their lives um, found themselves repeating Job's experience, um, feeling condemned maybe by those who really should have been comforting them. Um, Or maybe we're trying to comfort them uh, at the time. You know, and even in our time, um, despite uh, much more being said about it, um, despite the prevalence that we're aware of of it, um, depression is still surrounded by quite a lot of stigma. And this morning, I want to uh, directly address this issue. And uh, I want to stop by in Psalm 88 as part of uh, your Summer Psalm series here at Hillview. uh, You can turn to it just now. We're not going to read it just yet, but uh, we'll read it in a moment. Psalm 88. Now, I do realize with these opening words that actually there's probably going to be more than a few of you here whose heart has sunk a little. Uh, Depression. That doesn't sound very inspiring for a Sunday morning service, does it now? Um, I can hear Perhaps folks saying, well, I came hoping to learn more about God. I I came hoping to be encouraged this morning. I came um, expecting to be um, strengthened. And you're going to speak about depression? 
Come on. You know, Andy, after all these years of being away from the church, this is really the best subject that you find to come back and speak to us about. Couldn't you find something a little more inspiring? Well, my prayer actually is that as we come this morning to look at Psalm 88 together, my prayer is this, that you will learn something more about God, that you will be encouraged, and that you will be strengthened maybe even inspired, as you catch a a glimpse, maybe just a a passing glimpse of how God is present in even the bleakest and um, most negative experiences of our lives. Like Job, we all experience uh, seemingly hopeless moments, illness, pain, Bereavement. We can go through this as sort of a long list of things that sort of begins to accumulate behind each of us. You may not yet have had to face uh, mental anguish uh, or depression, but you know, given the complexities of life, it's fairly that likely that to some degree you, you're going to do that. that that's going to happen to you. According to the mental health charity uh, Mind. Apparently, the statistics are something like this, that approximately one in four people in the UK experience some, you know, it can be very minor, but some mental health issue every year. Most commonly, it is anxiety. But also in them, there is depression and other things. Depression is an illness um, that appears in many forms and with varied severity. Uh, it's, a, it's a complicated condition. It's not really um, fully understood. Uh, life uh, changes, major life changes, stress or trauma uh, are things that are known to trigger it. But sometimes it happens for no discernible reason. People can't really figure out, why has this happened to me? What is going on? Uh, Research points to a a number of factors that are both internal and external that provoke it. Um, But both its cause and effect involves all of life, all of who we are as people. You know, the physical, the relational, the psychological, the spiritual. And all too often... Uh, you know, we find people around us, perhaps, when we're going through um, such a time in our lives, they're using this word very loosely. You know, this game is so depressing. You know, you've heard people say that, haven't you? Or, you know, this weather is just depressing. But actually, the, the word used in a, in a clinical sense uh, refers to an absence of emotion, not feeling anything. Um, sufferers uh, experience a depressed mood often together with a deep and inexplicable sense of worthlessness and guilt, maybe even a loss of all hope. I mean, it's a, it's a terrible place to be. And as a result, it impacts all relationships, and it's profoundly isolating. It's a terribly real illness and completely debilitating. It saps strength and dangerously depletes even people's will to live. Um, Sometimes it seems like death is the only option, the only way out. And to further complicate things, when they go to the doctor, that usual question that helps to identify what's going on doesn't really help. You know, that where does it hurt 
kind of question. Um, because it's, it, it eludes description. It's hard to say what, what is going on. And perhaps the best descriptions come in metaphors that people use. Winston Churchill, you know that wartime prime minister, uh, apparently used to suffer a little bit from depression. He referred to his as the black dog, the black dog. Others speak about being stuck in a pit or lost in fog. Uh, Listen to a couple of people um, share about their experience. Um, Christian author Catherine Green McCrate, she says this, Depression is not just sadness or sorrow. Depression is not just negative thinking. Depression is not just being down. And this is really painful even to read. It's walking barefoot on broken glass. The weight of one's body grinds the glass in further with every movement. Ouch. So the weight of my very existence grinds the shards of grief deeper into my soul. When I'm depressed, every thought, every breath, every conscious moment hurts. Oh, my word. You know, and some of you have, you've experienced that. You've been near enough to someone to know that that's what is perhaps happening. Um, another person, Mark Minel, uh, who is one of the speakers, actually, at the Keswick Convention this past week, he writes this, when I'm not thinking straight... I get sucked deeper into the cave. From shame, I slide into worthlessness. And very little dissuades me of that thought. A a cave is an important analogy here. It's dark, dank, cold, lonely. Friends and loved ones who've not experienced the dog seem to be outside the cave. Their voices seem muffled and distant. They somehow can't connect with what it's like inside. Sometimes, in the darkest of hours, it's hard to make out their individual words. It's like noise outside the windows, drowned by the blizzard. Except, of course, the blizzard is inside the cave. Does that make any sense, he says? No, of course it doesn't. But you get some idea of the complexity and and the difficulty that people experience in these moments. Thankfully... Uh, Today, a combination of uh, medication and talking therapies can help people in a big, big way. They can make all the difference, but it can still be a lifelong burden for many. It's also, you know, as I said just a moment ago, surprisingly common, uh, maybe due to the demands of our culture or our lifestyle, it's increasing in prevalence. Um, The statistics say one in six of us are going to experience this at some point in our lives. And I'd say just looking around here, that's at least 15 of us, 15, 20 of us, you know, uh, had not that way. As we confront the the terrible reality of depression and mental illness, it's high time for us to turn to God's Word. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 88. You may be surprised to find Psalms that speak directly to this experience Uh, But none seem to be so close to it as Psalm 88. Let me read it, and uh, you guys follow along. I'm going to read it from the New International Version um, uh, this morning. Psalm 88, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah for the director of music. O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. 
May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near the grave. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man without strength. I'm set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have Put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord. Every day I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. Wow, that's quite a psalm, isn't it? Here is a psalm that starkly expresses the darkness of depression. Here's a psalm that rejects all our attempts at easy resolution. It is bleak, it is relentless, and it is unresolved. It reflects perhaps the grim reality of experience. Of all the around 65 psalms of lament, uh, Psalm 88 is alone in not finding even hardly one note of hope. Although it's ascribed to Heman the Ezraite, we don't know anything about the circumstances or context it was written in. But as one commentator that I was looking at in preparation for this was mentioning in, in his notes, he said, if you're in it, that really doesn't matter because you know where it comes from and you know what it means. The psalmist repeatedly through this psalm cries out to God three times in verse 1 and in verse 9 and again in verse 13. Three times crying out to God um, and uses a slightly different word each time that he, he mentions crying out to God. Um, first of all, it's to call. Uh, to, first of all, it's to cry and then it's to call and then it's to plead. And so taken together, uh, this psalm really becomes this kind of like high-energy protest. You know, God, why aren't you listening? Let's look at the first uh, piercing cry in verse 1. Oh, Lord, 
the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out before you. That cry encompasses the next eight verses, really. Day and night, constantly crying out. Maybe you've been there. This is the cry of experience. This is the cry of bringing all that is happening in your life before God, all the way that you're seeing it happen before Him. Where can you go when there is nowhere to go? The psalmist feels helpless with more than one foot in the grave. Uh, Verse 6 picks up on some of those metaphors we were talking about. You've put me in the lowest pit, the darkest depths. Life is at an end. There's nothing around me except darkness. When Laura and I visited uh, Lebanon uh, 19 years ago, my parents were working out there at that time, and we we went on a visit to go and see them. And um, our family took a sightseeing um, one day to an amazing complex of incredible limestone caves uh, where an entire river and it was a pretty big river coming down the valley, just disappears into the heart of the mountain uh, before re-emerging again on the other side of the mountain. And basically the river has made these amazing caverns at the heart of this limestone mountain. The, the cathedral-sized caves, when we visited, uh, were brightly lit with all sorts of colored lights. Uh, there were fantastically huge uh, stalactites and stalagmites, and they looked eerily beautiful from the security of the walkway that we were on as the noise of the rushing subterranean river filled this whole space around us. But I, I was thinking when I was reading this psalm, how it would have felt if the lights had gone out and we hadn't been on the walkway. You know, we'd have been here in this space, and perhaps that's exactly what the psalmist is imagining, this kind of place. You know, although the Hebrew words of the psalm's heading are a bit obscure, so you'll see in your Bible, if you're looking at the heading of Psalm 88, um, they're they're rarely translated, actually. Uh, According, it says, to Mahalath Lianoth. And you're like, what what was that all about? Why is that there? Um, Although those words are a bit obscure and sort of um, uh, the translators aren't quite sure what to uh, translate them as, it would seem that the way that they really maybe best are understood is that they seem to point to being headed the pit or the dark depths of affliction. Now, not really a, a, an instruction for a song, is it? You know, as you gather around your, your worship band, let's sing this song to the pit of destruction. You know, no, not very comfortable. This dark place where the psalmist cries as they reflect on the pain of their experience is such a, an oppressive place. And worse, much worse, it seems that God is causing it. And for some reason, God is not listening to the pleas for it to stop. The experience of mental anguish is a drain on life, on strength. Uh, Look at verse 4. I'm counted amongst those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man without strength. It it fills the mind. It drains the spirit. And all too often at at these times, it seems that not um, not only the world, not only 
our nature and our body, but actually God has turned against us. As the message bluntly puts, verse 7, I'm battered senseless by your rage. I'm relentlessly pounded by your waves of anger. How do we make sense of that? How do we make sense of that experience? Well, I wonder if maybe like Job's friends who gathered with him and tried to make some sense of the situation he was in, if sometimes we we do that to ourselves, that we just try and take the circumstances we're in, we try and make some sense out of them. And if the only sense seems to be that even God is against us, we, we, we kind of phrase it that way. But even in the pain of that terrible thought, the psalmist doesn't just cry. He, she, cries to the Lord. He or she cries to the God who saves me. Maybe that hasn't actually been their experience of late. But the psalmist perhaps reaches back through memories that are now dimming to some experience of God's grace, to some experience of God's saving action, or maybe is it just something that they've been taught, that they've kind of like, you people have said this so much, it must be true, I've got to hold on to it. God is the one who saves, oh Lord, the God who saves. He's the one who can change things, and maybe if I cry loudly enough or long enough, God will hear that cry. Let's look at the second piercing call in verse 9. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. It's connected with all the questions that follow through to verse 12. And I've labeled this the cry of frustration or the the cry of confusion. Why? 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 Why me? Why this? Why now? Uh, This cry reflects uh, the pain of doubt and despair that so often comes with it. And this psalm shows us, and I think it's a lovely thing that it does show us. It's a really good thing. It shows us that we can throw our questions at God even when we don't really have answers. We want to understand. If you're anything like me, you, you really need to understand. You're like, you know, not, not understanding drives you crazy. I just want to understand why I'm at this point or what's going on in my life. And this psalm allows us to bring our doubts, our despair, our confusion to God. And like the psalmist, we can leave our questions with God. There are no easy answers. But even in expressing our questions, we're inviting God to overcome our doubt, to comfort us in our despair, and to put us right. In our confusion. Later on, from a very different vantage point, in the light of Jesus, uh, we who read this psalm, we find that actually these same questions are all answered in Jesus. I want you to look, look at those questions just for a moment. Do you show, this is verse 10, do you show your wonders? To the dead? Yes, according to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6, it, the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead. Do the dead, do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Well, 1 Thessalonians 
4.16 tells us that the dead in Christ will rise first. And then again, at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, verse 10 and 11. Let's look at the next question, verse 11. Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon, destruction? Yes, Uh, Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? Yes, Beginning of Ephesians, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Ephesians 1, 19 to 21. Friends, one day... And I want you to get this. One day, you can throw your questions at God and you might not get the answers that you need. But one day, all, all of our questions are going to find their answers in Jesus. All of our questions are going to be answered in Him. Because He is the answer to every question. In Him, all truth resides. The third piercing cry, let's look at that, verse 13. I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Um, This is a cry whose substance takes us through to the end of the psalm. And here is a cry that reflects the pain of rejection. Lord, verse 14, look at that, what it says there. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? There is an awful feeling of being overwhelmed as the river of feeling or maybe not feeling sweeps us into the dark heart of the mountain's depths. As the New Living Translation puts verse 17, they swirl around me like floodwaters. They have engulfed me completely. Have you ever had that experience of just going under in, in, a, in a dark and difficult current perhaps in the sea? I'm going under. I'm now at an end. And at the end of this psalm, this three heart-rending sob of a psalm leaves the psalmist sitting alone in the darkness. Verse 18, you have taken my companions and loved ones from me. Darkness is my closest friend. Wow, that is some bleak ending, isn't it? Or is it? Charles Spurgeon, a famous Baptist pastor of the 19th century, who himself suffered acute depression, writes of this verse. He writes this, I am a child of God crying alone in the dark. Will the heavenly father leave his children there? And though this psalm ends in darkness, the the rest of the scriptures really are an answer to that question, to that moment. Our Heavenly Father has no intention of leaving us in the darkness. The very fact that this psalm is included in the prayer book of God's people takes these cries a stage further. 
Now the psalmist experience becomes the shared experience of all God's people. We can all join in this individual who's going through such a tough, tough time. If you cry, you don't cry alone. In this psalm, all God's people through all ages join you in your pain. They join your cry. They join you in the darkness. This is something I think we find really difficult to comprehend, perhaps, and we miss out on these days. That worship is not only about thanking and praising God for the great things and all the good stuff of our lives, but worship is bringing all of who we are and everything that's going on in our lives and everything that we've experienced, and it's bringing that to God. It's saying, you are the Lord of all this. You're the Lord of all the good stuff, and you're the Lord of all the bad stuff. You're the Lord of everything that's going on in my life. Recognizing that he is in charge, that he is present. Here is a psalm for us all. A psalm that validates the reality of depression, the reality of pain, uh, of mental anguish. And to experience those things doesn't make you less of a Christian. It doesn't mean that you're far from God. It doesn't make you less spiritual. As we join you who have, uh, you who will, and those who maybe you know, are related to people or know folks who are suffering depression. It brings us along, brings us who have not yet experienced that uh, moment in our lives alongside you who have. Together we find ourselves drawn into the desperation of this prayer. Lord, don't leave him alone in the dark. Don't leave her crying on her own. Okay, so how then does God respond to the cry of our hearts. It's all here as said in his word, the scriptures. Listen to the cry of Gethsemane. Matthew 26 and verse 38. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, says Jesus. May this cup be taken from me. Or just flick over a couple of pages there in Matthew and listen to the cry of Golgotha as Jesus hangs on the cross and his very last words, my God, my God, seems or near to his last words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These cries of Jesus surely point to the answer to our cries in the darkness. Traditionally, this psalm, Psalm 88, has been appointed by the church to be read alongside Psalm 22 on Good Friday for good reason. We cry with the one who cries with us. We cry with the one who cries for us. Oh Lord, God of my salvation. And as we cry in the darkness of our lives, he draws in alongside us unnoticed He draws in alongside us unheard. He draws in alongside us unseen. And he takes our hand in his until we can feel the marks of his love in his hand. I want you to see that the God of my salvation, the God of your salvation, the God of our salvation is revealed best and first perhaps not in the light of glory. Not in the resplendent majesty of his being, which is real, and we one day we'll see him, just like that. Not in awe-inspiring wonders and miracles, but in the darkness of Calvary. You know, does it get darker than that? You know, that day when Jesus hung on the cross, even the sun stopped shining. From the sixth hour, darkness came over all the land. The darkness of the cross, the darkness of my pain, my suffering, and yes, my sin, 
this God of my salvation, your salvation, most revealed in the death and the darkness of the death of Jesus. He takes my hand in the darkness. And it is the darkness that reveals him for who he really is. Oh, Lord, God of my salvation. Our prayers in the darkness, the cries of our heart to him, are a bit like flints. Have you done that? Strike a flint in the dark. They're a bit like flints struck in the night. In the momentary spark of light, we suddenly see we're not alone. We find him right here beside us. The suffering son of God who descends into the darkness to rescue me and to rescue you. I want to end with a quote from Michael Wilcock, a commentator on the Psalms. He says this, It is true that Christ himself came down this way and was lifted out again. But here, in Psalm 88, he's concerned to reach back through his word and through his servants who know his word to the soul that's stuck in the depths. This can happen to a believer, he says. It doesn't mean that you are lost. It can happen to someone who doesn't deserve it. It doesn't mean that you have strayed. It can happen at any time. As long as this world lasts, only in the next will such things be done away. And it can happen without your knowing why. There are answers. There is a purpose. And one day, you will know. In the midst of the darkness... This psalm encourages us to keep crying out to the God of our salvation. He does hear the cry of his children through Jesus and by his spirit, even our darkest places, even in those places. The Heavenly Father reaches for our hand, for your hand. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised to feel his touch. Let's pray together. Lord, Meet us in the pain of our experience. Lord, meet us in the pain of our doubt. Lord, meet us in the pain of our rejection. Oh Lord, meet us in the pain of our darkness. Father God, we especially want to pray for all those here today who have and are still experiencing the pain of depression and of mental illness. We pray for those who know uh, people in their families and wider circles who have that experience just now. Be present in their darkness and let them feel, oh Lord, your healing touch. Thank you for entering our darkness to meet us here. And bring us all, Lord, to true and lasting light in you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray these things. Amen. Amen.